uh, who we have the privilege of hearing from him this morning and the very life and gifts of God that are within him, uh, this is going to be a very powerful morning. And um, I met Glenn uh, back in 1977, and then I became more closely related in fellowship and brothership when I joined a group of men that were being discipled by Dennis Trout. And Glenn was in that group, and that's where we began. And we've gone through a lot of hoops together, really. And if you want to know what that is, you'll have to ask him after the service. But um, anyhow, I just want, I, I know that what we read this morning in the scriptures, it says to esteem one another better than yourself. Well, that is not difficult with Glenn Rogers. I, you know, I highly esteem him much better than myself. I've watched Glenn over 36 years closely. I mean, I don't, I'm not staring at him, but I've watched his life. And, you know, I've watched him go through things. And I've watched him, you know, rise out of so many things. And, and the impression I've got about Glenn Rogers is that he's bearing the actual image of what we read in the scripture that Jesus is our rock. Glenn Rogers is a rock. He's carrying that personification of Christ. He's like this solid rock. And the storms of life have beat him, not beat him, not won him, beat against him. And he's been like this. And you know, yeah, the winds have hit him and, you know, but he's been like this. He's been solid as a rock. He's a faithful man. We can open our spirits. We can open our hearts to receive whatever the Holy Spirit's going to give us through Glenn this morning because we can trust this man because he's proven he's solid. He's faithful. So let's welcome Glenn Rogers this morning. Just relax. Just 
it should match up. If I had to title this message, I would call it Discipleship Through My Eyes or God's Dealing Through Ordinary Men. Two caveats I will be placing before you. When I talk about ordinary men, I'm talking about the Jesus in ordinary men. Not the men themselves, but the Jesus within them. Because I really believe that Jesus continually works in us through his representatives, ordinary men and women. And so when I say men, I'm saying women as well. Okay. Secondly, I'm including, what I want to share is true. Okay. Everything I'm going to tell you is true. It's going to come from our journey that God has given us over these last umpteen years together. It's a real message. It's full of life. It's full of life's ups and downs. But it is our life and out of our lives and the sharing of our story, I want you to hear God's plan for you. Not just his plan for us or what he's done in our lives, but what his plans are for you. So again, Eddie Long, Bishop Eddie Long said in family camp several years ago, he said, our mess is our message. So I'm going to talk, be talking to you out of the mess of our lives, which is our reality. So I want you to sit back and really hear the reality of where God has taken us faithfully over the last um, 43 plus years. I'd like to start first to introduce you to my bride of 43 years, Ruth. <laughs> Ruth is known by many for her love of God and family, her warrior spirit, her resiliency, her kindness, and her servant's heart that, it, that sees, needs, and addresses them even before other people recognize there's a need. That's my Ruth. Ruth grew up in West Seattle and attended Phelps High School. Her grandfather came from Norway at the age of 12 to make a place for himself with his family. Her dad worked for Kenmore Trucks for over 42 years and passed away in April of 2000. Her mom is still alive at the age of 98. Much of Ruth's days are filled with making memories with her mom with trips to the Arboretum, trips to Shosho Bay, um, lunches at Fred Meyer's. They love Fred Meyer lunches. <laughs> and participating, I'm sorry, participating in their favorite sports, bird watching. I grew up in Honolulu. My dad was a rigger at Pearl Harbor. And on December 7th, they watched the Japanese duos fly over the city of Honolulu to bomb the Pacific fleet at Pearl Harbor. If that had been a day later, on a Monday, I may not be standing here today. But God had a plan and a purpose even in that situation. I graduated from Kamehameha High School, which is a school that was set up for, for those, well, they were set up first by the last princess of the Hawaiian monarchy for children of Hawaiian heritage. My dad passed away the summer I graduated from high school. 
from liver failure caused by alcoholism. It was then that I made a decision that I would never go that route that my father went, dependent on alcohol to meet his needs. A glass of wine or two, yes, I'm all for a glass of wine or two, but I don't want to get and never have become dependent on alcohol and drugs. I attended Pacific University in Oregon, where I met Ruth. During my freshman year, I joined a service organization, and our service was to help the new faces on campus the following year to get settled in their dorms. And what I'm talking about is we checked out the new faces, the girls coming into <laughs> campus. <laughs> okay? So, so we helped. We helped. Okay? My, my, um, my father-in-law, Bob, remembers me losing one of Ruth's boxes uh, as she moved in. I must have helped her move in. But I was out being helpful. I don't remember that because I was being helpful. I was checking out these women who were coming on campus. <laughs> Ruth and I met the following April on a blind date. It was the first and the last for me because that night I knew this was the woman I was going to marry and I mentioned that to a fraternity brother that she was the one I was going to spend my life with. And on uh, January 10th of 1970, we got married. We were not Christians at the time, but we carried a lot of the world into our marriage. In July of 1972, we met the Lord in two different places, a thousand miles apart, separate from each other. God had to separate us to conquer us and bring us back together again. Before we go on with the story, I'd like to take a few moments to dovetail on what Pastor Eric has been sharing on the well of discipleship, a subject that is really dear to me. One of the first things Pastor Eric shared on discipleship from Dietrich, came from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said, the goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness, us becoming like Christ. I'm going to take a little bit of the side here and talk about my nephew. My nephew is that little guy who runs around with a guitar, and during the worship, he's up here, um, or the worship practice, he's up here just, just watching Eric. He does everything Pastor Eric does. He stands like Eric, he strums like Eric, he shakes his booty like Eric. <laughs> Whenever Eric's hand goes up in the air, Jesse's hand goes up in the air. See, his goal, Jesse's goal is to be Eric-like. And in that example, in that small little frame, he's becoming Christ-likeness because he is looking at Eric, wanting to be like Eric, and that's going to translate as he grows up into maturity. Jesus came into the world saying, not my will, but yours. Is this our starting point for life? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? on a day-by-day, situation-by-situation basis? My answer this, to that question is no, not really. And I'm talking about me. You see, when I look at others instead of looking at God, I never measure up. Sometimes I see myself as a huge failure. Revelation to anybody? Okay. But no matter what I think, 
God doesn't give up on me. He never has. I'm so aware of God's goodness when I look at him and not myself. He says, no matter what happens, nothing can separate you from my love. Absolutely nothing. Yet he wants us to become his sons and daughters. That's impossible. That's an impossible task. But I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Pastor Eric said, why is the goal of Christ-likeness important? He said, Father's goal is to gain sons and daughters who look just like Jesus. Sons and daughters to whom Father can share his love to the lost. Touching the untouchable, reaching the unreachable, and loving the unlovable. We must realize that this life is not about me, but about what God wants to do through me for his kingdom here on earth. Becoming Christ-like is the goal. How we get there is equally important. You see, Jesus called men to be disciples, plain, ordinary men. Some with good reputations, some with bad. Some who could speak before men and some who couldn't. Some common, some professional, some educated, many who weren't. Plain, ordinary men who had faults, who didn't always do the right thing or say the right thing. Many who were lost. But those men did nothing less than hear the call and respond to the call. Ordinary men who laid down their lives for the gospel to reach the lost. Father's goal in the lives of these men was to make them Christ-like so that when they were told to go, they went and turned the history of mankind upside down. In less than four years with Jesus and, with, and when the power of the Holy Spirit came on them, they changed the world. Twelve ordinary men, less one, had their lives transformed. Through them and the examples of their lives, we have all been brought into the kingdom as sons and daughters. What did these men do that we are being asked to do today? They responded to a call. They believed in Jesus. They gave up their meisms, embraced their call daily, and set out to reach the lost. Pastor Eric said, Discipleship will cost you everything. Discipleship is the way of life here at North Street on North Shore. I'm sure many of you were asking questions like, what in the world is Pastor Eric talking about? It's going to cost me everything? It's a lifestyle? What is the way of life? What's discipleship really look like? And what do you mean it will cost me everything? My goal today is to give you a practical picture of what discipleship looks like as through, seen through God's dealing in our lives. But before I continue, I want to define what discipleship is and isn't to me. Discipleship is not 
supreme, lording over. It's not someone who comes into your life and said, do it my way. It's not one who makes decisions for you or for your family. It's not a drip performance-driven activity. Discipleship to me is a means to hear from God together through another vehicle, another brother or another sister. It's sharing of life's ups and downs relationally and the seeking of Father's will together. It is embracing and not running away from the cross on a daily basis. It is growing from a seed into maturity, a vessel God can use. It is a way of life. Now let's get back to the story. So much for Pastor Eric. (laughs) I love him. I love that boy. After graduation from college, I was involved in the first draft lottery, military draft lottery. And we spent three and a half years in a home in Omaha, Nebraska at SAC headquarters. And that was the home of the B-52 bombers. My job included sending flight crews to Vietnam, many who did not return. My time in the service is still something I don't really talk about. For me, the Vietnam War era still holds a heartache because I was part of a process that sent men to their deaths. It was also a time in in our nation's history when being in the military was seen by the vast majority as being wrong. It was a time of dishonoring and disrespecting those in uniform. That was the way of life in those days. It was a hard time being a recipient of that dishonoring and disrespect was a hard time. We returned to Seattle in 1974 with our one-year-old son, David, and after searching, found Faith Temple and Pastor Jim Hammond. Little did we know that God was planting us into a body of people that would become our community, our source of life in Jesus. Faith Temple became Christ Church Northgate, the grounds we stand on today. It was here that we were introduced to discipleship, and over time, it really became a way of life for us. We began attending Faith Temple in June of 1974, and in April, I started meeting or attending a home group. I'm sorry, that was November of 74. We started um, attending a home group. By April of 1975, we were released to lead a home group. Despite our age, we were 25 and 26 at that time. We fit the bill for being a home group leader. We were two warm bodies. We were breathing. That was the criteria. You had to breathe and you had to be warm, okay? We held that position on and off for 25 years. As a home group leader, we related to four men and their wives over the next five years. A school maintenance man, 
a school principal, a Boeing engineer, and a missionary. Just ordinary guides whose lives had been transformed, who lived their lives as examples to the body. The maintenance man took us under his wing and prepared us for leadership in the church. More importantly, that man and his wife kept us from divorce after only five years of marriage. True statement. Okay. The school principal and his wife walked with us through the adoption of our second son, Jeremy. The decision-making process was done on a grassy lawn at the Woodland Park Zoo. Really spiritual place to me. Without any formal requirements for adoption fulfilled, Jeremy became a member of our family five days after I walked into the adoption agency for the first time and three days after that meeting at the Woodland Park Zoo. <coughs> the Boeing engineer kept, well, let's, yeah. The Boeing engineer kept me from going in and punching out my boss at a retail store where I worked then introduced me to Boeing, a place I said I'd never go to work for, and I worked there for 30 years. The engineer and his wife also introduced us in December of 1979 to another ordinary couple, Dennis and Linda Cobb, who were returning to Faith Temple to join the pastoral staff. These men were just ordinary men who were divinely placed in our lives to help us walk through some very hard and very exciting times. At each decision point, the issue was, what is God saying? Not do it my way. Or what, this is what I think you should do. What is God saying? Would we have faced these challenges by, or these changing events? Let me start over. Could we have faced these life-changing events by ourselves? My guess would be yes. Would they have been successful? Maybe. But looking back, we are so grateful that Father placed these men and their wives into our lives. The right people at the right time helping us find Jesus and Father's will for our lives. Remember, these men were just Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in human bodies. They were vessels that Jesus used to continue to change us into his likeness. We celebrated our 10th anniversary in January of 1980 by renewing our vows, marriage vows, this time with Christ at the center of our lives. Pastor Jim officiated, and I remember that evening as being a blustery, snowy evening, yet we had 60 people in our living room watching that renewal of our vows. I saw Dennis serve Jim that night by driving him from Kenmore into Wallingford. And that left a lasting impression on us. Shortly after our anniversary, we were reassigned to Dennis and Linda and discipleship took on a greater reality. The first couple of times Dennis and I met, Dennis wanted to know who I was. So I gave him all the good stuff. 
You know, we always put our best foot forward. But in Dennis's case, he didn't stop drilling. He wanted to know where God was and where God wasn't in our lives. Now, at this point, we had been home group leaders for five years. And I'm sitting there giving him all this good stuff. And he asked the question, Rogers, are you tithing? This was one of the things I didn't want him to ask me. <laughs> okay, because at that point in time, we were not. I said, to, I said to Dennis, I said, Dennis, I can't afford to tithe. And he said, Rogers, you cannot afford not to tithe. And so he began to share God's perspective on the tithe. And as he shared that, and we started laying out a budget, we then were able to watch God's goodness because that's when we saw promotions, pay increases, and the blessings of God to the point where we're no longer at this level, incoming, outgoing, this level. Things started to go this way. That was his first drill. Dennis, however, continued to drill. And he continued to drill. And I shared with him aspects of my life that I had told to no other man. And Dennis could, kept those things really close in his heart. As life continued, I began to see the reality of how God joins us together sovereignly and relationally. As Dennis and Linda took us into their hearts and into their extended family, they began to show us Father's heart for us, his future and his hope for our lives together in the kingdom. Again, I want to em emphasize that Jesus, through these ordinary people, is changing us day by day into Christ-likeness. Our journey was rocked by life circumstances. Dennis sat with Ruth one night in the emergency room because our son had to go through a emergency appendectomy. And I was out of town. I was in Georgia or somewhere, Tulsa, Oklahoma or somewhere. And Dennis sat with her that evening that morning and all I could do was receive the call from Ruth and she says Dennis is here it'll be okay and then I got up the next morning and everything was okay he and Linda and some of you here were there when our son Jeremy walked out of our home at the age of 17 Dennis was there when we continued to ask why are we doing this? And why does it hurt so much? As our son's rebellion rocked our home for the next seven, several years, he continued to turn us back to God and his sovereignty in our lives and for our rebellious son. Dennis was there when I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance following a fall. He was there after a banking accident that resulted in a ruptured spleen that brought me close to death. Both situations rocked Dennis's emotions to the point of tears 
because he cried out to God on my behalf. Dennis was also there to pick up the pieces when I sinned against my wife and my God. I remember how my sin hurt Ruth and how it rocked the very foundation of our marriage and our relationship. I remember Dennis being very, very, very angry at me and my sin. And I remember how hurt Dennis himself was over this. It was another really hard time in our lives. Yet Dennis never left our side. He kept loving and loving and loving and showed us what Father's love was like. Dennis stayed with us, represent, representing Father's love for us. He represented, fa represented Father's love with skin on. But God used these ordinary people to fight for us on their knees. They made us aware of Father's love for us and the no plan B escape clause in our marriage. There's no plan B. We only have one plan, and that is to stay together and be married in God. Dennis also brought to us the reality of spiritual warfare that all of us are in, a war that purposes to separate us from each other, a war I could not have seen if I didn't have a faithful, ordinary friend seeing for me what I couldn't see. Dennis and Lyndall battled for us, our marriage, our kids, our destiny, and we came through, we came through stronger and more committed to our love for each other. As our, pro as our journey progressed, there was a period in our lives when we began to ask, ask the question, there's got to be more to the Christian life. We were raising kids, we had a home group, we had a job, everything was normal. But for us, there was something in us that said, there's got to be more to this Christian life. There, during this time, we were asked to lay down our home groups. And although that was a sad occasion, we both knew that this was God and that there was change coming into our lives. Dennis said, let's go out and meet our neighbors and get together and put together a neighborhood association. I wasn't too keen about this, but over time, Dennis taught me how to love my neighbors, how to love my city, and how to serve my city. Dennis said, come follow me. Let's do things, let's do this thing while we continue to look for your more. That statement set Father's destiny in place, and here I stand in my 10th year as a city council member for the city of Kenmore. And that's not because I could see anything, but he could see something.
I stand in this place because God used Jesus and an ordinary man to show me the way to his destiny for my life. Dennis showed me the basics of how to love my wife simply by watching Dennis love his Linda. We talked about the future, about the next generation, and what we're doing with these God-given responsibilities. That's the greatest reason Ruth and I stayed so involved with so many years with the Master's Commission. In our time together, Dennis taught me how to serve another man's vision. I watched how he served Jim, constantly recognizing the needs of Jim and Phyllis and meeting those needs. And he did this all the way through even his battle with cancer. Dennis also taught me how to take a lower position in the organization as I watched Dennis serve Pastor Norm as an assistant pastor. Here was an older man under authority serving a younger man. Because God had sovereignly joined us together, when challenges came to Dennis's family, I was the one who got the call. And the call was to get, all right, let me see what I mean. I was the one who got to share with our cul-de-sac family what the challenges, challenge was and how Dennis and Linda wanted it taken care of, how they wanted it communicated. Over the next two and a half years, I'm sorry, I keep losing my place. I was one of the first to get the word from Dennis that he was dealing with cancer. Eight months earlier, we had talked about my retiring from Boeing, and I wanted Dennis's guidance and blessing with such a life-changing decision. After much conversation and seeking God together, we all agreed it was time for me to retire, and I did so in April of 2009. Little did we know that that decision freed me immediately to be available to Dennis and Linda and their needs as they valiantly began to fight the fight. Over the next two and a half years, we ta constantly talked, battled, shed tears, and sought God together on behalf of his family and the church that he loved so dearly. Dennis shared about the internal battles he faced on a daily basis, about the pain-filled nights, about his internal conversation with, with his God during those evenings, about his love and deep love for his Linda, his kids and his grandkids, and the frustration of going through the cancer process. Yet he never blamed God. I, I, I was always amazed that he never blamed God nor had any ought for the plan God had for his life. He, Dennis, only wanted to glorify God in the process. No matter how it got, no matter how hard it got, Dennis never gave up his hope in his God. The man who first showed me how to serve that wintry January night in 1980 was now the man I wanted to serve 
in any way I could for the rest of our time together. I wanted to serve them because I had watched them serve others. I also wanted to share and serve Dennis out of a heart of what I call a return on investment. You see, Dennis had poured so much into me that I wanted to try to pay him back. Impossible. Impossible. In serving Dennis, I received blessing after blessing. The best times I shared with him were driving to doctor's appointments, stays in the hospital, and sitting together while Dennis went through his treatments. These were times of deep conversations, laughter, prayer, or just being together. Times of letting Dennis just close his eyes and sleep. This was also a time when I checked my own walk with God. I struggled with the why question. Why Dennis? Why this way? Why, why, why? And it's okay to struggle. Okay? Yet I served with joy because I wanted to and I was available. Dennis's passing on July 26, 2012 cost me everything, including my hope of growing older together, the joy of hearing his voice as he shouted down into the cul-de-sac, Rogers! It cost me seeing that smile of his that was so contagious and the twinkle in his eye, especially when it was a mischievous twinkle. It cost me God's here-on-earth representative in my life. It cost Ruth a safe place to go to when I got hard to live with. Can you imagine being hard to live with me? It cost us the daily life-giving of a dear, dear friend. His passing cost all of us who knew, knew him everything. He was, no, he was not an ordinary man. He was God's gift, God's representative in our lives. A real treasure of an or, extraordinary man. That church is the end of the latest chapter in my story, titled God's Healing Through Ordinary Men. Ruth and I learned that the goal for living life, for reaching Christ-likeness, is impossible without the Father working in and through lives of ordinary men. It's a walk with ordinary men. It's seeking God's will and ways together that benefits, that helped us get through the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives. We could not foresee the benefits or the heartaches we had to walk through in life, but we were glad to be walking in life in discipleship with God's ordinary men in our lives. And discipleship became a way of life. The journey of discipleship is not perfect because it is joining ordinary men to ordinary men. But God... The God factor is what we must trust in and must walk in. The faith to walk in discipleship is not in a man. It's in God and his plan for our lives. To sum it up, why, did, why is discipleship so dear to me? 
Discipleship helps me to, to see aspects of the decision-making process that I can't see by myself. Discipleship takes me to the cross and continues to teach me how to embrace the cross on a daily basis. Discipleship helps me learn how to love my wife better. Discipleship continues to teach me how to serve others, thus allowing me to mature in my destiny in serving the city. Discipleship continues to transform me on a daily basis into Christ-likeness. God said, go and make disciples. And Dennis picked up that command and discipled me and other men. During that time, he also helped me in my journey to disciple others. I'd like to introduce to you some other ordinary men and their wives who also carry the Dennis gene. Will the following stand? Lee and Louise. I think I see Annie back there. Dean and Sue Hale. Paul and Annie Graves. Mike Walker and Don Walker's not here. These folks are ordinary folks. They have the same genes because they're related to Dennis. And they have their own story to tell. Okay, thank you. There are other men here in our midst who disciple and are being discipled or, and are discipling others. Should you have any questions, please, please, please come talk to any one of us. Stacy Lindsay's another good man, another ordinary man. But God's call to discipleship become a way of life for you. It's not that we have all the answers, but we've been taught that together we can find God's heart in any situation we face. Could Ruth and I have faced the challenges that have come to us over our lifespan by ourselves? Maybe. But why would we want to do it alone? It's fair to say that we probably would not be married today. And we would not be in this church but God, the ordinary men. Ruth and I are now walking in discipleship with another ordinary man and woman. And we'll be living another chapter in their story. You see, discipleship for us is a way of life. Christ called men to him and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He also said, go and make disciples, teaching them. This is the plan he has given to us to follow so that we can be can disciple the world, our nation, our state, our cities, our neighbors, and our families. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you to say, Lord, it's your plan. It's our destiny in your hands. God, we're asking you for for guidance, for your will to be done in the whole arena of discipleship here at North Shore. It's not for men. It's not for the glory of man, God. 
but it's for the glory of you, Jesus, and what your plan is on the earth to disciple the nations. Father, we just make ourselves available for all that you want to do. May this word sink deep, God. May it touch lives. May you have your way in it all. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Well, thank you, everybody.